It's a hard place for people that have lost their job. It's a hard place for people that aren't able to care for their family like they would love to do. It's, it's difficult. But as I preached to you last Sunday, I want you to know that God is still God in the midst of this time. And God is still our supplier. And God is still the one who provides for us and watches over us. Today's message from Harvest Church of God, Priorities in the Hard Times. Pastor Jerry Irwin speaks about, what do we do when we are surprised by the unexpected or devastated by the unwanted? man in an insane institution, thought to be mentally deranged, wrote the last verse of a song that we all know so well as the love of God. That last stanza says, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I don't think he was too mentally deranged, do you? If he put something together like that, that lets us know that God is able to touch and speak through the most strange and familiar sources to speak the Word of God. Which brings us to the point today of speaking the Word of God. Father, we're Paused in your presence, we're attentive, we're spiritually alert. Thank you for these uh, songs and these hymns that have helped us to prepare our hearts now to receive the engrafted Word. Touch us, O Lord, with clarity. Touch us, God, with uh, all the memory of the things that you've told us in the prayer closet so that we can deliver them in the pulpit. Meet the need of every person in this house before leaving today. I pray that prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The epistles that are called pastoral epistles are written from the pen of the Apostle Paul and are written to uh, individuals. One is Timothy, the other is Titus. They're called the pastoral epistles because they deal with matters pertaining to leadership uh, in a local church. Both of these men were pastors. They were great servants of God. But at the time of the writing of this epistle, the Apostle Paul was in Rome in a prison and uh, was under a death sentence by the Caesarean ruler who at that time was Nero. Nero was said to be insane and probably was because he was a bloodthirsty despot. He was a, a man that blamed Christians for everything that was wrong in the world. And uh, he's the one that fiddled while Rome burned that you've heard about. He uh, had a hatred for people who named the name of Christ. And uh, serving the Lord in the first century was quite a difficulty. It was a hard thing. It was hard in that you were challenged about your faith with uh, sliding down Nero's knife, they used to call it. They would put a person on a platform, and there was a long blade that was stretched several feet in a vertical position, and that as Christians would be thrown on that blade, they would be killed, of course, and uh, sliding down what was called Nero's knife. Nero also had a beheading machine that they called Nero's chop block, that Christians were beheaded. Oftentimes, Christians were burned at the stake. Oftentimes, Christians were just ran through with the, the spear. And in that, that catalog of, 
of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews talked about these people that had been martyred for the cause of Christ. And the Bible said they put to flight the armies of aliens. They wrought miracles. There were great things that were done by their hands. And the Bible said, uh, of whom this world was not worthy. The world was not worthy. Because these people gave not only their lives, but they left a pillar and a foundation upon which to build the church of the living God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Paul is writing to uh, Timothy. Timothy is the pastor that is left behind to pastor the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a very modern city for its time. Ephesus was a port city in which ships came and went, bringing news from all over the world. It was a city of commerce. It was a very rich city. It was a very opulent city. It was the pride of uh, Asia Minor at that time. It was large. It was populated with people from all different ethnic groups. There's a lot of diversity in its population. And there were people who were merchants. There were people who were lawyers. There, they were very religious people. They had a temple that was to Artemis. They had another temple there was to Diana, who was the fertility goddess. And they worshipped and uh, made large temples and large, beautiful, cultured marble uh, pillars and stone. They were a, a beauty to look at. They were uh, great colossal uh, artifacts of architectural wonder. And it was a, not a main city per se, but it was a city that was so diverse in, in its religion. And in that city that was so diverse and so immense in population that a Apostle Paul walked into and began preaching the gospel message. Wonderful things were uh, wrought by the hand of God right there in that city of Ephesus. And the Bible said it became the headquarters for all of the Messianic efforts that were made throughout Asia Minor. Galatia, Colossa. You know the story about the churches of Asia. We preached about them not long ago. Those were all founded from the headquarters place there in Ephesus. And Timothy had gone to Paul and told him about the great growth they experienced when he first went there and about how God had added to the church. And then Paul wrote him 1 Timothy and told him how to organize the church and gave the qualifications for deacons and the qualifications for elders and showed him how to organize and structure the people that were supposed to help him with the work of God. But somewhere between 1 Timothy and the writing of 2 Timothy, things really went downhill. The persecution was intensified, and many of the people were killed, and many of the people had to die for their faith. And for fear of Nero and, and the Romans and their hatred of Christians, the church just fell to nothing. Just a handful of very faithful people were coming. And Timothy was so discouraged, and Timothy was so distraught, and he felt like his whole belief system had just evaporated and dissolved right out from under him. And he wrote a, a, a letter, a communicator, Paul, telling him, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It, it's, it's hurting. It's too hard. And I don't want to do this anymore. And Paul writes him back, and he says these words to him. If you'd like to read them, it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore my son. Did you know God's church is a family? Brothers and sisters... Mamas and papas. God's church is family. God's church is about a community of faith 
and what they believe holds them together. Their faith is an adhesive that pulls them together and keeps them together. So much that elders would look upon young people as their own children. And Paul looked upon Timothy in that same way. And he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in grace. Well, my goodness, you'd probably tell somebody to be strong in a lot of things that was in a, a hard place like that. But he said, be strong in grace. What is grace? It is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is that element from God's character that includes his mercy, his loving kindness. It's all about the nature of his loving and being a heavenly father. You see, everything that God does, he does because of his nature. And God's nature is love. And God's nature is forgiveness. And God's nature is, is salvation and redemption. God's nature is help and blessing and deliverance. And he says, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, he said, gather some men that love the Word of God. Not that are rich, not that have a degree in physics, not that is, has a title behind their name or before their name, but he said, men that love the Word of God. Men that love the Word of God. Your leaders should be men that love the Word of God. Thank you so much. I believe that true. Evidently, we're in the minority here, but we do believe that, don't we? That people who love the Word of God, that would be a, a great requirement for leadership. A lot, of, a lot of people look at folks and say, well, he's a good businessman. He'd be good in, in this and with the finance. Well, just because a person does a certain business, that doesn't make him the best suited person for that role. In fact, God uses some of the most unlikely people to do great things for him. I preach sometimes about God uses ordinary people, amen, to do extraordinary things. God touches and blesses people with talents and gifts and abilities that he gives them to meet the challenge that he's assigned to them. In other words, if God calls you to preach, he will qualify you. If God calls you to do some deed or some activity, he'll give you the ability to do that. He really will. Because whom he calls, he qualifies. And who he calls, the Bible said the calling of God is without repentance. In other words, God's not going to change his mind. God's not going to back out. God's not going to pull the rug out from under you, in other words. If you're his man, he's going to stand by his man. If you're his woman, he's going to stand by his woman. God is going to stand by you, and God is going to strengthen you, and God is going to give you grace. In fact, Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, when I gave my first answer, nobody stood by me. I took a stand for what was right. I took a stand for the Word of God, and nobody had the guts to stand up with me. You ever been there? took a stand for right and looked around and found out you were in the minority and you got talked about and called names for believing that and taking that position. Well, that's biblical. Jesus said, don't worry when that happens to you because 
Uh, that, that's what Jesus does through situations like that. Amen. He said, don't worry about that. They, they hated me before they hated you. And it's not because of who you are. It's because of who I am. And he said, I'm the one that offends them. And I'm the one that makes them mad. But isn't it good that you can stand up for God and say, hey, call me what you want to call me. Think what you want to think about me. But I've determined in my own heart what's best for me is to love God and serve God and worship God. Amen. And he said, be strong in grace. What is grace? That means that you do what God does, that you forgive people when they sin against you. That's not just a pretty little verse there in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. In fact, the writing of the Galatian correspondence tells us that if we don't have forgiveness for others, there's no forgiveness for us. And what that means is our forgiveness is predicated upon our willingness to forgive. And if we won't forgive, is that scriptural, Brother Don? If we will not forgive those who trespass against us, then our Father will not forgive us of our trespasses because we're not really sincere about wanting forgiveness. Boy, that's pretty tight, isn't it? Grace, dispensers of grace. And he said, the same thing you've heard me preach all of these years, those principles of faith, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the physical return, bodily resurrection, verbal inspiration. He said, repeat those things. Communicate those things. In other words, let people know where you stand. The best thing a leader can do is surround himself with people that are informed, that know what he believes. Amen. I, I know some people sitting right here today that you could just about ask me any question that you would pose to them, and I can tell you how they would answer it. I believe if somebody asked Kim, do you believe the Bible is really verbally inspired? I believe Kim would say, yes, I really do. I believe if I asked Gretchen, Gretchen, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Yes, I really do. I believe if somebody asked Martha, Martha, do you believe the Holy Spirit can live inside us? She'd say, yes, I really do. If I asked Jeanette, Jeanette, do you believe God answers prayer? I believe Jeanette would say, yes, I really do. And that's what the Bible meant when it says, know them that labor among you. Amen. I know by your life, I know by your past, I know by your history, I know by your witness, I know by your testimony what answer you would give. Amen. And that's the way it should be. And we should have leaders that are not in the dark and leaders that would say, I don't know. We need leaders that stand up and say, well, here's what the Bible says about that and what the Bible says is what I believe about it. Amen. We need to communicate the Word of God, that that you've heard about through me and my preaching among many witnesses. I hadn't just started preaching like this. I've been preaching this way a long time. He said, the same commit to faithful men. Who is faithful men? People who are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing at the time they're supposed to do it. That's called faithfulness. Amen. Faithful people. And he said, when you start looking for people to lead in the kingdom of God, make sure you find faithful people. Now, what he's saying is that handful you're left with over there at Ephesus is the people you ought to have had leading in the beginning. Because the people that have stuck with you and stood with you and are still here helping to keep the doors open and helping to go on in ministry, they're the people that you should have started out with. 
Because faithfulness is the number one requirement. Faithfulness. In fact, what did Jesus say was the way to get to heaven? Be thou unto, and I will give you a crown of life. Faithfulness is the one thing that Jesus said is your ticket to heaven, is be faithful. Be faithful to the end, and you'll receive a crown of life. Faithfulness to the end. What is so tragic is that people would all of their lifetime have faithfulness and get close to the end and just give that all away. That's a tragic thing, to be so close and yet so far away. He said, Timothy, uh, give this to faithful men and let men who, who know the Word of God, appreciate the Word of God, are committed to the Word of God, they will be able to teach others also. So then leaders are supposed to be teachers. What they have been taught, they need to be teaching. Praise God. We need people that can teach the Word of God. We need people that are committed to the Word of God. Why? That they may be able to teach others. The strongest leadership in this church should be people who teach the Word of God. Boy, the clappers are few today, but praise God, there are a few. Thou therefore, verse 3. Now, what's this got to do with leading and what's this got to do with communicating gospel? Verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. Endure hardness. Endure. Somebody say endure. Endure. That means hang in there. That means set your face like a flint. Make a determination. Settle the issue. Endure hardness. And then he uses a metaphor as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be determined like a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening to one of the guys talk the other day here in the church. He's talking about basic training in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Hey, Leesburg, Louisiana, I think is where that is. And he said they had a guy, they just go, arrived for basic training, just got off the bus, just got their head shaved and all the, and said, and said next morning, so they said, getting up time is 4.30 around here, and said we'll be standing in attention in line at 5 o'clock. Next morning they said to one of the guys on the bunk, said, say, Sam, going to be late, you better get up. He said, you tell that sergeant I said that, uh, I believe I'll sleep in this morning. Mike, how do you think that went over? What do you think that sergeant said when he looked in that vacant place in that line and he said, where is he? They said, he said to tell you he's not getting up this morning, he's going to sleep in, sir. And he said, well, you stand at attention, I'll be back in just a minute and he went and found the guy and he was proud and happy to come when he got through talking to him and found out what all he was going to have to do because he made a mess up sometimes we make mess ups with our mouth that brings severe hardship on us don't we sometimes we say and do and act in ways that causes hardship 
Anybody in this house endured hardship? Wow. Well, we're voting a little bit better than we was. We've got more folks that's been through hardship than believes the Word of God. How about that? You just don't like voting, huh? I hope you vote Tuesday. Week. Hardship. Hardship is, is a, a tough word. In Scripture, the word means suffer. The Greek word for hardship, hardness, is synkakopathesion. And it's a compound word of patheo, which means to suffer, kakos, which means bad, and sin, which means together. So it means to suffer alongside of someone else. Another rendering of it says, take one share in the ill treatment or bear evil treatment along with others. What does that say to us? That says there's some hardness that is shared by all of us. You see, bearing the cross is the responsibility of everybody in this house. It is. In fact, Jesus said, if you come after me and you don't take up the cross, you're not worthy of me. If you're not a cross bearer, Jesus says, just forget it. He said, this is one thing. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself daily. Daily. Does that mean 365 of them in a year? Daily. Does that mean every day there's a dying that has to be done? That we have to die to ourselves every day? Jesus said this. If any man cometh after me and taketh not up his cross, he's not worthy of me. But if any man will come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up the cross and follow me. What did Jesus say to that rich young ruler we preached about not long ago? Remember when he came and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. Evidently, you're a, a law keeper. You go to the temple, I guess. So obviously, keep the law. He said, all of these. He said, really, which one are you talking about? And Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father. But he said, all of these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said one thing. One thing. Well, boy, we're going to have to commend this guy that he got that close. Because most of you couldn't even get it down to one. But he got it down to one. Jesus said, one thing lackest thou yet. He said, what do I lack? He said, go and sell that thou hast, give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So then there's a burden that every one of us in this house, young and old, male and female, we all have that same burden. That burden is to bear the cross. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Every one of us that name the name of Christ have a burden to bear the cross. That means we need to get, be involved in winning souls to Jesus. That means that we need to be all about that cross and what it represents and sharing it with people that need to hear the message. Are you involved in soul winning? Three, four, five? Well, we need to have some evangelism classes, don't we? And teach us how to get involved in winning souls. The Bible said, he that wins souls is wise. So we all want to be smart, so we better start winning souls. Hey, Randall's going to be on the radio, I think it is, Tuesday. You don't know about that? Going to be on the radio Tuesday. Some guy walked in and visited him and saw the crosses that he'd been making. 
And he said, uh, hey, what do you do with those? He said, well, we've got a ministry. He said, we pass them out. We give them. We give them to graduates of high schools. We, we take them to hospital. We do all kinds of things with them. He said, well, hey, I've got a talk show on uh, a Trinity's program out here and said, we talk about ministry. He said, would you be a guest on our program and talk about winning souls through that wooden cross that y'all give away? Randall said, I believe I would. Well, Brother Jerry, I don't know if them people believes in the Holy Ghost or not. Well, if they believe Jesus is the Savior, and if they believe the blood of Jesus Christ washes us from all sin, if they preach that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong, if they believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Bible said, whosoever that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same is born of God. And the Bible said, no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, neither is there salvation in any other. Hey, if you love Jesus and you believe Jesus died, shed his blood for the sins of the world, you're my brother. Amen. Amen. We ought to be soul winners, bearing the burden is a different thing. The burden bearing is things that life just brings our way. And the Bible says many are those. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Those burdens are multitudinous. Good word, isn't it? Multitudinous. That means there's a lot of them. That means there are many, many things that happen to us in this life that's hard. It's really hard. It's tough when we lose loved ones and someone has to inform us that someone we loved has passed away. It's tough. It's tough when you've given so many years to a company and you're expecting a comfortable retirement and before you reach that age, you get a pink slip in your box and you pick up and says, we're laying you off. That's tough. That's hard. I said, that's hard. It's tough when you go and a doctor's run some tests and he comes in and he says, I've got bad news. That's tough. That's hard. You see, this Bible doesn't tell us that nothing bad will ever happen to you again. There are bad things that happen to good people. That's because we're in this world. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. But thanks be to God, he's made a way that we can go to be with him when he's through with us in this world. And hey, I will not go one day before the Lord gets ready for me to come. Nothing can kill me. A car can't run over me. A boat can't drown me. Nothing can happen to me until God gets ready for me. And the Bible says, so teach us, Lord, to number our days. Amen. And to act as if, praise God, this is the day the Lord has made it. It may be the day that I go to be with him. Maybe the day I go to be with him. Amen. In fact, you can get so wrapped in that notion of going to be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul made this word. You're probably not ready to say that. I don't know many of the are. I'm probably not either. He said, for me to die is gain for myself. For me to die today, he said, that would be the best thing could ever happen to me. Why is that, Paul? He said, because I know where I'm going. <laughs> 
know where I'm going. I know what awaits me. You see, he had a blessing that you don't have. He had a blessing. The Bible tells us that outside the gates in Lystra, he was stoned. And the Bible said, and they left him for dead. Fourteen years later, he was writing to the Corinthian church, and he said, I knew of a man one time that was caught up in the Spirit up to the third heaven. Third heaven. Can you give me a three? Third heaven. Not the second, not the first, but the third. Third heaven. And he said, I saw things that it is not lawful for me to speak about. Now, the King James is a little awkward there. What he's actually saying is there aren't enough words in the English language to describe to you what I saw in heaven. Glory to God. You mean you can, you can get so in love with, with heaven and you can be so fixed on what God has for us in the future that this old world can lose all of its luster and all of its shine and all of its attachment to us? Amen. You can get so attached to heaven that these things don't matter that much. I had a, a relative. It was my mother's first cousin. He was a pastor and a preacher, pastored for many, many years, preached more, uh, not revivals, but funerals than anybody I've ever seen. Has done as many as three in one day. His name was Joe Colston. He is sitting on the front seat at Whitwell Church of God in Whitwell, Tennessee, and had a heart attack. Sure did. And one of the ladies in the church, an RN, went over and she went to working on him and, and uh, she got, got him back where he opened his eyes and he looked at her and said, why didn't you leave me alone? She said, what do you mean? He said, buddy, I, I was on my way to a great place. I said, why in the world did you do whatever you did to get me back here? Hey, when you realize what God has in store for us, that heaven is so much better that God has got a wonderful place where he is and where he lives and where he abides, that it is so much better, thanks be to God, that this old world will lose its, its allurement and all of the enticement of it. A soldier in God's warfare must war against the evil forces and not be entangled with the, what do you say, affairs of this life. Now, that don't have anything to do with women. Affairs of this life. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That means business and occupation and work and Facebook and all the things that you call your life. It's easy to get entangled with this present world and become so in love with this present world that you fall out of love with the world God has waiting for you. You know, Demas was a great worker for God, but Demas turned back and deserted Paul and went back on his commitment as a, an evangelist and a disciple. And the Bible tells us that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, you can become so entangled and so wrapped up and tangled in the things of this life that you lose sight of the world to come. And he said, no man that warreth as a soldier entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Soldiering is a metaphor. Building is a metaphor. All of those are metaphors of people that work in the work of the Lord. God expects us to be faithful in our, our call. 
sometimes living for God, sometimes working for God can become very hard and become very difficult. Not near as hard as it is, Brother Carlos, in some parts of the world. There are some parts of the world that living for God and naming the name of God, it costs you. It really does. Many parts of the world, they meet in secret and they whisper their songs instead of singing them out loud like we do. There are many places in the world, third world countries, where people literally have to serve God and worship God in secret because they would be killed if they found out about it. I want to tell you, there are many people that have given their heart and their life for what we take for granted here every day. There are many people that have hardness in their physical body. It, it's hard to get those notions from the notifications from the doctors and surgeons from, that you have some disease and that you've got to take these treatments and do these kind of things. That's hard. I think Faye one time was driving back and forth to Birmingham every day for I think it was several weeks taking those radiation treatments. Wow. Jerry's told me about how difficult it is to go through that chemotherapy and all that. That's hard. That's difficult. That's very difficult. And it's hard. But if you didn't have the Lord, if you didn't have Jesus, if you didn't have eternal life, if you didn't have the Lord on your side, if you didn't have the Lord giving you strength, if you didn't have the Lord encouraging you and, and helping you, what in the world would you do? It's good to know that in hard times we can praise His name. In hard times we can serve Him. In hard times we can lift Him up. In hard times we can live for Him. In hard times we can be His hand extended. God can use us even in hard, hard times. And I want to tell you, it's okay not to be, always be okay. Sometimes if you're not okay, it's all right to say, well, I'm not really okay right now, Pastor. Just be honest about it. Just say this is the way things are right now. Having a pretty tough time right now. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if we could just always be, when we're in God's presence, just be honest with God and just say to God, God, you know my heart. You know my situation. You know exactly what I, what I go through. You know all about me. You know about my home life. And I want to tell you, sometimes family and home is hard. Amen. When you do what I do, you meet a lot of people that have hard circumstances at home and family. Some have hard circumstances at work. Some people are sitting here today, no, no doubt, that left a hard situation when you came to this place today. But I want to tell you, you're at a good place because God can be found when you're in a hard place. You see, many things that you thought would always be the way they are, they're not that way right now. You, I never thought, I've never in my life dreamed that we would come to a time like we're in right now. I've never seen this before. I never imagined this. It's a hard place. It's a hard place for people that have lost their job. It's a hard place for people that have lost their business. It's a hard place for people that are wondering what they're going to do, what the other side of this is going to look like. It's a hard place for people that can't make their payments on their house. It's a hard place for people that aren't able to care for their family like they would love to do. It's, it's difficult. It's a time, unprecedented time. But as I preached to you last Sunday, I want you to know that God is still God in the midst of this time. And God is still our supplier. And God is still the one who provides for us and watches over us. 
some have had bad things in marriages. And some of you are sitting here today that you've counted your marriage dead. But I want to tell you, there's one that we call the resurrection and the life. And his name is Jesus. And he specializes in taking dead things and resurrecting them and putting them back to life. He can give new life. One of the greatest examples of home and family problems. I needed three hours one time to get some degree work done. And I took a course called Home and Family Problems. It was supposed to be a crip course that if you just needed the time, you could get it in. Easy course, not a whole lot to do except write a few papers. But I found out that home and family problems is a big deal. And when people start writing about it and telling about it, boy, I'm telling you. Now, we're not talking about the Facebook person you know. We're talking about the person that is willing to write it down. We're not talking about that, that victim person on Facebook that everybody else has treated them bad and done them wrong. We're talking about somebody that's honest that will say, I brought a lot of this on myself. That I'm in a hard place. I'm in a dark place right now, but it was my own doing. Hey, that's the biggest thing to be in the presence of God. Don't wear a mask. Little pun there. Don't play charades. Just be honest with God. Because there's no need to try to fool Him anyway. Because God who knows our hearts, the Bible says. That's a good place to just accept that God already knows. And if we could just come to God in times of desperation and could just, number one, take responsibility. Take responsibility. Hard times, it's easy to point fingers and say she's to blame, he's to blame, he made this happen, they did this. It's hard sometimes for us to just step up and say, this was my own doing. I made some bad choices. I made some bad decisions. And yes, it's hard right now. It's a hard place, but it's because I made some bad decisions. I believe God honors an honest heart, don't you? I believe when a person is, and here's another one. I'm trying to quit, I promise. Be genuine and be authentic. Don't walk up there and say, Honey, if I hurt you with what I said, I'm sorry. Drop the if. If I, you know you hurt her. I said, you know you hurt her. Don't play around like you're, it's some frivolous thing and you're just kind of sweeping a little dust out of the way. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Walk right up there and say, hey, I hurt you with what I said. And that was wrong of me. And I want you to forgive me for that. And I'm genuine and I'm sincere about it. Amen. Uh, why don't we just let the past be the past? Let's just forget it. <laughs> You've heard all those insincere things over your lifetime, haven't you? And you know they didn't mean a word of it. Amen. I have to amen my own preaching sometimes. 
And you can see right through that hypocrisy and you know that they don't really mean that. Oh, you know, you, you know how I am. You, you know. Yeah, we know how you are. Everybody else knows how you are. You just won't admit how you are. You're mean. You say mean things. You do mean things to people. You talk down to people. Come on, somebody. I mean, just own if you did something wrong. I got something I need to tell you. Well, when you're in the right mood, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you. You're not in the mood right now, I can tell. Hey, what was it you wanted to talk to me? Oh, it wasn't nothing. Be sincere and be genuine. Be authentic. If you've done something wrong, just admit, hey, I did that. And I was wrong for doing that. And I want you to forgive me. And by God's help and God's grace, I'll not do that again. I genuinely want to change. Amen. You can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. But you can never fool all the people all the time. Amen. And when God says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. He means be sincere about that. Be genuine about that. Don't just hint around and act like it's a game. Be sincere with God and be sincere with people that you owe an apology to. Amen. Amen. Don't let somebody pass on and go on with you owing them an apology. You need to hunt them people up before they go to wherever it was they was going and fix that thing with them. You believe the Bible says that? Yeah. Listen to me tell you this, now I'll dismiss. Jesus said, when you go to pray, when you go to pray, you mean praying people uh, sometimes... Well, listen to the whole story, and I'll let you determine it. When you go to pray, and you get down on your knees, and you begin your prayer, and suddenly, sitting on a thought and a stump struck you, stump and a thought struck you, a thought comes to your mind that says, you have injured somebody, and you've hurt somebody. And Jesus said, don't pray anymore. Get up. Get up. I preach sometimes on when prayer will do you no good. Right there is one instance where prayer will not do you any good. Praying and God tells you you need to make something right with somebody because I'm not going to hear your prayers and I'm not going to listen to you play this game with me get up and go to that person that you have injured and wronged and hurt and tell that person I want you to forgive me for thus and so spell it out be specific you said something you shouldn't have said say what you should have said and say I was wrong for saying what I said and I want you to forgive me for saying that.
And then the Bible said, praise God. Lisa, it said, go back to the altar. Go back to the path. Go back to the bench. Go back to the place. And then get down and pray. And then he said, I'll hear your prayer. You mean there's that? that's in Scripture? Yes. That means sometimes you may be praying when uh, you should be doing something else. Yes. The Bible said, don't sin. First John, don't be a per perpetual sinner. Don't sin as a way of life. Don't sin as a, as a continual thing that you just keep on doing, knowing it's wrong, but you just keep on doing it. Come on, somebody. He said, don't sin. But if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that simply says is, if we will, he will. Brother, can you imagine what home life was like for Jacob? Jacob had a promise of God on his life. Had a call of God on his life. God said, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God had just told him, because of your grandfather Abraham, because of the covenant I made with him, there's great blessing. You and your family, you're going to be a great blessed person, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to confirm, I'm going to give you a land. That, in fact, that land you're on right now, I'm giving that to you. And everywhere you set the sole of your foot, I'm going to give that to you. What a blessing. Isaac was his father. And Isaac was now blind and couldn't see. And so Jacob and his mama yeah, Rebecca got in this too. And that's another sermon for another day. Rebecca got in this too and she's a picture of the church in the Old Testament. We'll preach that one Sunday. Rebecca connived and schemed with her favorite and said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Said, your brother Esau, he's a hunter and he's an outdoors man. He's hairy as he can be. And said, uh, you're, you're kind of fair complected and kind of smooth skin and all. And uh, we got we to do a little ruse here. We've got to fool somebody into giving us a blessing. You didn't get that. We've got to deceive somebody so we can get a blessing. God never, ever works through junk like that. But together they schemed and connived and took a goat skin and put on him. So, and it, Isaac, he's real old now and he's about to pass and go on. And he's got a birthright. He's got a blessing to bestow on Esau. And he said, oh, Esau, I'm so glad you came. And the, Jacob said, oh, daddy, I sure am glad to be here at the blessing today. And he said, you've got the voice of Jacob, but you've got the skin of Esau. Come on, daddy. Put two and two together here and figure this thing out. Now, I know you're old, but think a little bit. 
But the Bible said he gave the birthright to Jacob. Jacob cheated his own brother out of the birthright. Well, needless to say, it wasn't long before things got kind of hot at home. And so Jacob did what most of you would do. He hightailed it out of there. They think things got hard? I think things got pretty hard. And the Bible said he came to a certain place. A certain place when he could go no further. Have you ever reached the place where you said, I can't take this anymore? Have you ever reached the place where you say, I, I, I can't do this anymore? I'm done with this. I'm finished with this. I'm through. It's over. I'm done with this. He reached a certain place. And the Bible said he gathered him up some rocks to use for a pillow. I'd say it's a pretty hard place, wouldn't you? But you know what God does in hard places? He shows up. I said he shows up. And God showed up. And Jacob saw a ladder. And there was angels ascending and descending up that ladder. And God said, just like I was with your father, Isaac. Just like I was with Abraham. That covenant that I made, I will honor my word. I will honor my covenant. And Jacob took the stones of the hardness that he'd been in and piled them up and anointed them with oil and renamed the place. It's the city of Luz. But he said, I'm going to call this name Bethel. What does Bethel mean? Bet means of the tribe of and El means God. This is the house of God. You call it Luz, I call it Bethel. Praise God. And I'd like to tell you that all of his problems were solved then. But Jacob just continually had problems. He went over and he worked seven years to get Rachel, that beautiful girl he met over at the well. He even kissed her on the first date. Met her at the well, and the Bible said, and he kissed her, and he loved her. Wow. And the next move is go to her daddy and find out if I can have her. So he went to Laban and started talking to Laban and said, I love Rachel. I want Rachel. He said, you got to work seven years for Rachel. He said, that's all right. I'll work however, how long I have to to get Rachel. Listen, the way of a transgressor is hard. I said, the way of a transgressor is hard. So seven years, Jerry, he worked so hard. Buddy, he just worked. He fed those, those sheep that belonged to his father-in-law. He did all of that in hopes one of these seven could get. Can you believe the countdown? Seven years. Six years. Every New Year's Day, five more years. Four more years. Three more years. Two more years, one more year, and she's mine. Brother, when that day, that clock ticked that last second, he said, praise God, I've served my time. I'm going to get my love of my life. I'm going to get my woman. So he showed up over at Laban's house and said, I have come to get Rachel. And the Bible said they brought him out a tender-eyed young girl whose name was Leah and he said it wouldn't be right for you to 
get my best daughter, my youngest daughter, said, I'll give you my oldest daughter, but you got to work seven more years to get Leah, the tender-eyed one. What that means, Drew, is she was homely. She wasn't very pretty, I don't guess. But boy, she was good about having babies. Buddy, right off the bat, she went to having babies. Because she figured if I have enough babies for him, then I'll, he'll love me more than he loves Rachel. And I'll be the favored one because I have more babies than she does. She ain't got but one when he finally got married to her. She had one. His name was Joseph. Come on, folks. So one day, Leah had a girl. Her name was Dinah. And Dinah went over and met a man in Assyria. And she fell in love with an Assyrian and lost her virginity, lost her virtue. And when her brothers heard about it, she had seven at the time, when her seven brothers heard about it, they went over and killed every one of those folks in that city. Wow. Jacob finds out he's been cheated in his business, that he not only had to work 14 years to get Rachel, but he's found out about spotted cows and, and solid cows and spotted cows and raked straw sheep and solid sheep and found out he'd been cheated, but God had took care of him all that time and changed cows that were supposed to give spotted ones and made them solid so that he could get them. Hey, God does a lot of things for you you don't know anything about. So he sits down one day when he finds out his boys have gone over and murdered all those people and Dinah's gotten a mess with her life and everything's in a, in a total disaster and God showed up. I'm telling you, he shows up in every hard time. Brother, the harder it gets, the more likely he is to show up. So God showed up and he said, listen, Jacob, you made a mistake when you left the house of God. If you'll get up and get ready and go back to the house of God, hard times will get better. That's what I'll do. So he went out and announced to the whole tribe. Well, he'd worked 14 years by that time he had Rachel. So he announced to the whole bunch. He said, Let, let's go, boys. We're going back to God's house. We're going to get in church. My God, we, we hadn't been paying our tithes. We ain't been living for God. We ain't been doing right. How in the world can we expect God to bless us? That's over here in the land of Haran, on the backside of this desert, acting like we love God and don't care a thing about him. Let's go back to God's house. And so they loaded up. And Rachel went in the house and got a little idol God that belonged to her daddy. Stuck it in the bag. They got out on the way, and God showed up and said, Jacob, my Lord, I'm trying my best to get you out of the hard place, but you're hard to work with. What's the matter, Lord? He said, one of your wives got her an idol God in there, stuck in her bag, stole it. Thinks they don't nobody know anything about it. But So Jacob said, well, we're going to have a family meeting. He gathers them all around him. You can't make this stuff in Hollywood, can you? Gathers them all around him said, Folks, we're trying to go back to God, and here y'all are toting idols around. said, Get your idols and put them out here in this middle of this circle. We're going to deal with everything because we're going back to God. we got to clean up and get all this mess straightened out. And here comes Rachel out with her little idol God she stole from her daddy. 
put it in there, and the Bible said that Jacob took a tow sack. I don't know if it's a tow sack. I just call it a tow sack. He put it in a bag, threw it over his shoulder, and carried those idols up on the hill, found him an oak tree, and dug under the oak tree and made a grave and threw those idols in it, Carlos, and buried those idols. And said, now then we're ready to go back to God. The thought just struck me. You reckon we need to have some oak tree experiences? You reckon some oak tree experiences would do us good? Some of the hardness and the hard places, you think it'd get better if we just have a few oak tree experiences and lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset us and lay aside every hindrance and throw away every weight that's holding us back? Wouldn't it be great if we could just have one of those experiences with God where we just wholeheartedly came to God and said, God, here we are. We just need you to do what only you can do. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Stand with me, please. Who would say, Pastor, I believe that God can help me in a hard situation? I believe that no matter how hard it gets, God is always showing up, and God is always there for me. God is always there for me. God is always there for me. God, I thank you this morning for reminding us that hard times may come, but we can endure hard times because the Lord is with us. That when things get hard in families and homes and things get dysfunctional and things get awry, that you're still God. And if we'll look to you and if we'll give you our attention and call upon you and lay aside all these things, that you'll help us and strengthen us and encourage us and give us hope in hard times. We thank you, God, that you've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've never let us down. You've lo never lost a battle. You come through for us every time. And God, we're just trusting you for the future. We're looking forward, oh Lord, to that day when you gather together your jewels under yourself. I thank you, God, for strength and energy to proclaim the Word of God today. And I ask you to help us to take it with us out these doors and live a life of light and salt in front of this community that they'll know that God is great and God provides and God gives grace and mercy. Dismiss us from this place, but not your care. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. God go with you and God bless you is my prayer.